as we start singing our, our opening song. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, from the heavens praise his name. Praise Jehovah in the highest, all his angels praise proclaim. All his hosts together praise him, sun and moon and stars on high. Praise him, all ye heaven and Yeah. 
you are here and those in TV we are glad that you're with us and joined us today. We have a couple of updates uh, to our to our bulletin that will let you know um, Misty Ford was supposed to have a pacemaker put in but uh, she fell instead and now she's got to have a back surgery before she can have the pacemaker so we're going to uh, remember her and, uh, and the difficult time she's having right now. Also, I talked to Keith uh, a little while ago. A uh, memorial for Drew Harris will be here at this building Saturday at 1.30. Uh, what a tragic loss. I remember Drew with my grandsons, uh, two of my grandsons in class, not to, seemed like that many years ago. So we were certainly saddened by, by that loss. And in our prayer, we're going to remember all of those. But um, right now, if you've got your bulletin, I want you to look at the front page, and it talks about attendance. So it says, uh, worship attendance, 296, Bible class, 296, you subtract that, you carry the one, somewhere over 90, <laughs> around 90 people. And that's been true for months and months, around 90. So today, the elders want to invite those who are not attending Bible class to come. It is a great place to be. It's where you build relationships. It's where you do in-depth scriptural study. It's a wonderful place, and we have great classes. We have a children's class that Donnie and her crew work with and, uh, in, those, in our new wing, and they're just great. They work so hard. And our teen classes, Tucker teaches it, and uh, uh, Ken was over there last week, maybe I think every week, but he told me there's over 30 people in that class, so that's a great class. We have a college and young adult that the Canifax teaches, and if you're that age, it's a great, great place to, uh, to find peers. We have the West Urban Connected, the young adults, and that is a great class, a great discussion class. They take the Bible and related to current events and the things that are happening in their life right now. And Wade tells me they have some great discussions in that class. So uh, then we have another class. It's called uh, the Danny Snell class. And Danny Snell teaches it. Uh, he was teaching that before I came, so he's been in that class for like 40 or 50 years now. And just <laughs> he does such a great job. We, uh, we love Danny and what a great teacher he is. Then there's two more classes that are for... Uh, for the more mature, for us old people, and, uh, and uh, Stan and Bill and Donnie and Davey and Michael Willis and I mean Michael Hurley and, um, and so many good teachers teach those classes. So 
I want to tell you that you have a special invitation next Sunday to be there. And um, I hope you'll find it uplifting and rewarding and to get to know your fellow Christians even better. Let's see. I think that was all I was handed to talk about. So if you would, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we come today to worship and glorify your name. We are so blessed, so blessed. We have our faith, we have our family, we have our church. We have this great country. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. But Lord, we also come to you as sinners, failing in so many ways. We know the, we know the right thing to do, but many times we do the wrong. We see the good that we can perform, but sometimes we walk on by to our selfish desires. We confess our sins to you and to one another and ask for forgiveness. We need your strength. We need your strength, Lord, for, so the world might see a glimpse of Christ even, even in our lives. For the Lord's people know that by our faith we receive peace, and by your grace our hope is provided, and by your love our eternal deliverance is promised. Father, this has been a difficult few years. We've had so many that we've, we've lost. 26, not too many months ago that we had a service, and now... We have these that are just recently passed away, Drew Harris, and we pray for Keith and his family, and Helen Matthews, and lost her brother, and Sandra lost her brother, Tracy, and Davey lost his sister. We've lost so much, Father, and we just pray that you'll be with these families and bring them peace, and we're so... Sorry that they're having to go through this in this time of life. Father, also we have those that are sick and need your help. We have Susie who hurt her shoulder and Misty who's got several issues now. And uh, Brenda and Eileen has Tom have a, a difficult road to, to walk. And Father, we just pray that you be with them. And Debbie Phillips' sister and... Uh, and carries. We ask for healing for those sick and strength for the caretakers. We ask that you'll be shed peace to those who are depressed and reconciliation to to those in turbulence and to all to all find comfort and mercy at the foot of the cross. Lord, what times we live in. Lord, so we want to pray for the Ukrainian people as well as pray for the Russian people. They remain in our, own, in our prayers during this invasion and structure of the country. We pray that from the suffering and perils experienced, the gospel will be spread as it has been throughout history. Bless those people, bless those, may this 
come to a quick end. Father, bless West Urban. We ask that you give us wisdom and knowledge to teach the gospel to the lost. Give us a passion to reach those in need and patience to show the light of eternal hope on the darkness of the world. So much darkness surrounds us all. As it is written, let love be genuine, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal, be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. And this is the prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
description of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasting him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking him among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to take us back to this scene that I just read about. And I want to share the words of this song that I think symbolizes it very well. Long, long ago in a faraway place, rough, rugged timbers were raised in the sky. There hung a man suspended in space, and though he was blameless, they left him to die. Just to think of the cross moves me now. The nails in his hand, his bleeding brow. To think of the cross moves me now. It should have been me. It should have been me. Instead,
we also read in Scripture that as Jesus hung on that cross, that a soldier took a spear and pierced his side, and that the blood and water came forth, and that the blood that was shed was done so that our sins could be forgiven. It was that sacrifice, Father, that that made heaven possible. And as a Christian father, we understand and realize that when Christ rose from that grave and ascended back into heaven, that he went to prepare a place for us. And he promises, Father, that he will come again and he will receive us unto himself that we might be with him to all eternity. And so, Father, as we partake of this fruit juice which represents that blood that was shed for our sins, may we reflect upon that sacrifice that Jesus made on our Another blessing that we have in Christ as we gather together as his body is the honor and the privilege that we have of returning to him a portion of those many blessings that he has given to us. And so it is at this time, Father, that, that we want to remember uh, your great love and return uh, to you that this church might uh, might grow, that we might reach a multitude of people with the saving gospel. Father, thank you so much for your generosity. We realize, Father, that all that we have is you. And all that we own, Father, you've given to us. And we are abundant we also know, Father, that you love a cheerful giver. And so we pray, Father, that as we return to you, that, that we will give in that fashion, that we'll be happy to do so. Realizing, Father, that the funds that are taken at this place at this time are to benefit the kingdom, and that others may come to know you and have that same saving grace bestowed upon them that has been bestowed upon us. In the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Let's sing Jesus Loves the Little Children while our little children come up for kids' time today. Jesus loves the little children. Bye, Jude. All the children of the world. 
Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus died for all the children of the world. Jesus rose for all the children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus rose for all the children of the world. How many of you know what this is? What is it? It's God's blood, okay? Yes, it represents God's blood to us. That's right. The top one represents God's body. Great job, parents. Were you going to say something, babe? That was it, right? What, sweetie? Oh, she does. Well, sometimes, you know, that's what's needed sometimes. Um, When do we partake of this? When do we do that? Okay, it's around the time of the contribution, also a very important part of our lives and our worship service. But what, do we, what is it, babe? Oh, don't have a vote yet, okay? Hi. It's what? Let's get a little help. What is it? Okay, say that one more time. That's right. When Jesus was at the table with the disciples, he had the last supper and he was killed the next day. And so this helps us to remember that, doesn't it? Do you have any questions about what we do when we partake of this? It's called communion. And we do that every Sunday. Do you have any questions about that? Not for Mr. Bill, but maybe for your parents. Well, you know, we do this every Sunday. And the bread, like you said, helps us to remember his body that was killed on the cross for us. And the grape juice helps us to remember his blood. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he died, but he died for us. He didn't deserve to die, did he? No, he didn't. But he did that so that we could live. And that was what was the most important to Jesus. And so today and the rest of the Sundays in this month of April, we're going to be talking in Mr. Bill's sermons about this, about what we call the communion or the Lord's Supper, so that we can know more about it and also so that when we do Take that bread and drink that cup, that grape juice. We'll do that to remember Jesus and to remember each other and how Jesus wants us to live the same way. Okay, let's go back to our seats or to blast and not walk over anybody that's taking a short nap. And we'll uh, sing one more time. Jesus lives for all the children. Baby, all the children, the world. 
red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus lives for all the children of the world. You know, I've seen adults fall asleep, but I've never seen the kids fall asleep right in front of Bill like that. <laughs> Good job, Bill. <laughs> Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and How important is the Lord's Supper in our church life? How important is the Lord's Supper in your life? It's kind of a related question to what our shepherd, Galen Sigler, was asking during our shepherd's prayer time. How important is Bible study in our church life, in your life? Important enough to come at 9 a.m. with your brothers and sisters and study God's Word together? That should be pretty important. How important is the Lord's Supper in our church life and in your own personal life? What significance, what importance do you give that? 
And we know that in Churches of Christ, we have given that a lot of importance. At least we've given lip service to its importance. You know, other religions as well, other Christian faiths have also spoken highly of the importance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, William Barclay says, without question and without debate, the Lord's Supper is the central action in Christian worship. Another writer not associated with Churches of Christ says, the Lord's Supper is the central act of worship of the Christian church. Another says, when we consider the communion, we are at the very heart of the gospel and of the life which it creates in the church. And then when we mention our own Churches of Christ movement, from within our fellowship, writers, of course, and scholars and preachers, uh, leaders, speak of how important it is. Dr. Everett Ferguson, longtime faculty member at Abilene Christian, wrote, the Lord's Supper above all other acts of worship is expressive of what the church is. The late Raymond Kelsey, who I studied under at Oklahoma Christian College, says there are many devoutly religious people who do not attach much importance to the Lord's Supper and to whom it is not very meaningful. It does not occupy a very important place in their thinking. To them, it is a practice in which a Christian may or may not participate. Now, does that describe you? Is this something that's okay to participate in when it's convenient, when you can? And is it not something that is of great significance? Something that you can easily go ahead and say, you know, that's, that's not going to happen today, but that's okay. We say it's important, is it? When we get to the historical study next week, which we will in this series on the Lord's Supper that starts today, we will be convicted in our lack of devotion and commitment by those through the centuries who actually risked their lives or even gave their lives just so that they could do what we did just a few moments ago. Take of that bread to remember the Lord's body and drink of that juice to remember His blood. So again, how important is the Lord's Supper in our church life, in your life? And now a second question. Have you ever had an in-depth study on the Lord's Supper? (laughs) I would be interested to hear from a few of you that perhaps have or perhaps never have, just to get a feel for that. I would imagine that for many of us, we have had that because, again, in Churches of Christ... Uh, in the restoration movement, this is one of the things that we have emphasized so much so that it's one of the things that has been a difference between ourselves and many other Christian faiths. And so that being said, how often have you really studied in depth this thing, this activity, this action that we claim is so very important? Oh, you probably know a few of the applicable scriptures, especially Matthew 26, which I'll read from in just a moment, that talks about that Last Supper we spoke about with the kids, the passages in Mark, chapters 14 and 15. Davey reminded us of chapter 15. Perhaps 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about that as well. 
Maybe Acts 20 verse 7. But I wonder how many of us would even know that last verse. Or why we partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. What do you know about the history of the Lord's Supper? You may be surprised to hear that for most all of the church's 20 centuries of existence since Jesus established the church, the Lord's Supper was the central part of the worship assembly. And do you know all the terms that the New Testament uses in describing the Lord's Supper? You might be surprised to hear one of them is a very biblical term. And if asked, what would you say is the meaning of the Lord's Supper today? Again, today begins a month-long series of sermons on the Lord's Supper. These next four sermons will be speaking about that. When I was at Abilene Christian in the doctor ministry program and deciding what to do my project thesis on, I decided on something related to the Lord's Supper and ended up with the theme of developing a theology of the Lord's Supper. So if you ever can't sleep at night, I have 162 pages of just riveting stuff. But I'm going to baptize that and translate it into a few lessons over these next few weeks. Next week, we will talk a lot about the history. Not just the history of the last 200 years or three or 400 years or so. But the history beginning with the New Testament up until today. On Easter Sunday, we'll talk about how the the Lord's Supper is very forward-looking. Looking ahead to the time when Jesus will return, acknowledging the tomb is empty, and looking forward to that time when our tombs as well will be empty. And we'll end the series at the end of the month with a a sermon that helps us to answer the question, what does this all mean to us today? But we begin by taking a look at the biblical basis of the Lord's Supper. Today's emphasis is on the scripture and the biblical foundation of the communion. And so, first of all, the Lord's Supper at its simplest is a meal. It is a meal. A while back, uh, Spencer Shaw did our communion meditation and brought some of these same things out in his wonderful thoughts then. And, and so we think about meals. How important are they? Well, they're, they're, they're super important. If you're looking at a couple of kids and they're sharing a Baby Ruth bar, when God created candy bars, it was a Baby Ruth bar. And then the fall of man came and there were all the others that came in. Well, when they share a candy bar, that's something pretty significant. You ask them what their favorite subject is and they just very well might say what? Lunch, <laughs> of course. They just might say lunch. When a young girl decides that she wants to invite him over for dinner sometime, that's a, that's a significant thing. Even on the political level, state banquets are held that are very significant, very important. Meals are important. And they were important in the Bible times too. In the Old Testament, in the days of Abraham, when he had those visitors, remember what they did? They made a meal for them. And ate together. In Exodus 24, we're reminded that, that in the days of Moses, they ate and drank together. Not just the leaders of Moses' day, but they did that with God. 
The Jews, of course, held many feasts and festivals, especially the Passover is significant for us in this study. And of course, so many remember and appreciate so much the 23rd Psalm, which has this line, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I love this story that helps bring that to life. One author writes of a story about a nomad being pursued across the desert by his enemies. The desperate man comes upon an encampment. He rushes up to the tents hoping that these strangers will receive him. He runs up to the head tent and throws back the curtains. The inhabitants have just begun to eat. Breathlessly, he looks into their faces. Will they receive him or will they turn him away? They motion for him to enter and be seated. He breathes a sigh of relief. His pursuers finally reach the camp. They go to the tent he has entered. They also throw back the curtains, ready to seize the man and kill him. But when they see him seated at the table, they draw back and leave him in peace. For they know that in the Near East, it is a great act of hostility toward the host to trouble a person who is seated at someone's table. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Of course, and when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't get very far before you see the significance of meals. His very first miracle was at a wedding reception. We continue to read about that through his calling of Matthew, through his interaction with Nicodemus, two tax collectors, going home with them and having dinner with them and being criticized because he himself acknowledged he came eating and drinking and they called him a glutton and a drunkard. He had dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee. He feeded multitudes on at least two occasions. And then, of course, he had that very special time that we call the Last Supper with his apostles just the night before his death. After his resurrection, meals were still significant. As he was walking and talking with the two on the road to Emmaus, when he got there, they ate together. And Jesus, the guest, played host. And it was then that they recognized who he was. On another occasion, Jesus joins the disciples and some of them just don't believe that it is Jesus. And so he asks this question, have you got anything to eat? And so he took something to eat and he ate it in front of them. And I can just picture the scene where the disciples start looking at each other and saying, yep, it's him. Sure enough. Now, I know we preachers have taken a lot of heat because we um, appreciate the meal aspect of fellowshipping together. We have been known to eat a few meals together. I'm not sure if it's that way in the United Kingdom. It is, brother. We have a preacher with us from the United Kingdom traveling through. It, It translates very well, doesn't it? We don't like to turn down a good meal, but I'm here to say we've got good biblical authority for that in the life of Christ, especially in the book of Luke. All of the times that we meet together for dinners, for luncheons, whether at someone's house or at a restaurant or in our family life center. And for Jesus, it was the same way. Meals were momentous events for him. One even described him as one who shares feasts with sinners. And the scriptures tell us, talk to us about breaking bread together. And that can mean what we just did with the Lord's Supper. It can also mean sharing a meal together. And that's where these passages come in that's on your outline, starting in Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 11 also acknowledge this time of of, uh, meal and eating together and partaking of the Lord's Supper in the context of that meal during New Testament times. We see it in that significance in Acts 2. In Acts 20, it starts with that great verse 7. On the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread. And Paul preached to them. And then later on, they went and they shared a meal together. In Jude chapter 12 and 2 Peter 2.13 is that term called the love feast, the agape feast. That describes that meal that the church of the New Testament times shared together. And in the midst of that meal, some time in there, they also partook of the Lord's Supper. As you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, it caused quite a problem. And Paul even told them, look, if it's going to be divisive, then separate them. We'll talk next week about how that developed over the first few centuries. So that by the time of about the middle of the third century, the agape feast had pretty much been separated everywhere from the communion service. And so we recognize in the New Testament times, in Old Testament, in the life of Jesus, even today, meals carry a great significance. None more important than the one we shared just a few moments ago. Secondly, the Lord's Supper contains elements of the Jewish Passover. This is that great passage in Matthew 26 and the others that describe that time that Jesus met with his apostles the night before he was killed and observed a Passover feast. In Matthew 26, beginning at verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We see the other gospel writers writing about this event in Mark 14 and Luke 22. And we remember that these words have a significant connection to the Old Testament Jewish Passover. What we celebrate today is not a Passover feast. But it is the Lord's Supper, and as Jesus instituted it, he instituted it in the context of that Passover celebration. And so it, we learn a lot from it, but we have to be careful because I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but if you are in church one day and the one who is leading the communion thoughts is reading from Luke 22 and they're not careful, they're going to be a little bit confused. Do you know why? Because in Luke 22, it starts out with the cup. And then Jesus takes the bread, and then he takes another cup. And so if you haven't done your homework and you start reading at the wrong place, you're going to be a little bit confused there. And the truth is that the Passover history 
helps us to explain that because by the time of uh, the first century, they would have four, sometimes five special cups during the Passover celebration. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week in the historical study. And so like the Jews did during the Passover feast, Christians during the Lord's Supper do a few things. First of all, they look up. We look up to God as we consider our salvation history, just as the Jews did. Secondly, we look back. They looked back to deliverance on that night when they were freed from Egyptian bondage. We look back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. As Davy led us in, reminding us from Mark 15. As we've sung today, our wonderful, merciful Savior. This is that dynamic term that means more than just remembering and calling to mind. It's a dynamic re-experiencing. It's like we are there when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Third, we look around. We look around to one another in our relationship as the family of God. God in His wisdom did not tell us to partake of this by ourselves. We partake of it together and granted The pandemic has caused that to be more difficult. But still we find that connection. And we look around to be considerate of each other. In fact, that's what the Corinthians weren't doing in 1 Corinthians 11. Oh, they were remembering Jesus, okay. But they weren't remembering each other. Finally, we look ahead to the return of our Lord and eternity with Him. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. What's the rest of it? Until He comes. The Lord's Supper is not just about remembering what happened at Calvary, although that is, of course, significant. But it's also about us living and dying for each other. And it's also about us looking ahead until he comes, proclaiming his death, burial, and resurrection. And so I think the Lord's Supper calls us, like the Passover did, to be considerate of of the seriousness of this occasion. But it doesn't have to be somber mourning. We might say, yeah, but Bill, we, we commemorate the time that Jesus died on the cross. That's right. But we also remember the time that he was raised from the dead in this event. But Bill, there were probably some people that were there who were alive who saw that happen and who communicated that to others. And I say, I'm sure that's right. But there were also some who actually saw him alive before he ascended. How can you control their joy in remembering that? And so one man has coined a term, contemplative joy. And I really like that term. We partake of the Lord's Supper with joy, but it is contemplative joy. We remember the great price that was paid for our salvation, but we celebrate the fact that it was paid and that the one who paid it lives even still. This is what we are called to remember as we partake. Finally today, the Lord's Supper calls us to faithfully obey God and serve our neighbor. Those passages in 1 Corinthians 5 and in 1 Corinthians 10 remind us of that and focus it on living out this call of our Lord's Supper and communing together. In 1 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch 
as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Later, Paul recounts something similar in 1 Corinthians 10. And just as Jesus did, he uses leaven and unleavened in the sense of it being neutral. Jesus talked about the dangerous leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes and their teaching, but he also talked about leaven being a sign of the kingdom. How just as a woman works leaven through the dough, the kingdom of God spreads in the same way. Paul reminds us that our lives are meant to be faithfully obedient to God and that we are called upon to serve one another. And he reminds the Corinthians of that ethical horizontal aspect. And it is that horizontal aspect, that one another aspect of the Lord's Supper that the Corinthians were failing on as chapter 11 clearly indicates. The Lord's Supper calls us to respect one another, to treat each other with love and consideration, to sacrifice for one another just as Jesus sacrificed for us. And that's why we take of this meal together. Come take the bread. Come share the wine. Come share the Lord. It is the church's family meal. So as we close today, we have been right in stressing the critical importance of the Lord's Supper. It's not something to be arrogant about. It's not something to be prideful about. It's something to be grateful for and to be reminded of. We have been right about that. The biblical record is clear. The historical record is clear. Up until the time of the Protestant Reformation, In the 1500s, the Lord's Supper was the centerpiece of the worship assembly. How important is that moment when the church gathers around the table of the Lord to remember, to re-experience, to proclaim the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection in a way like no other. We do this. The Lord's Supper is something that we do, and we do it to remember to remember that on the night he was betrayed Jesus instituted this supper calling us to remember his sacrifice for us and calling us to be obedient to his command to love each other in the exact same way he paid a debt he did not owe i owed a debt i could not pay and he paid it I'm excited about our studies together this month. This morning, if you need to come to that one who died for you, who paid that debt, come as we stand and sing that great song together. He paid a debt, he did not
thank you for this day that we get to come together and worship you and learn more about your word. As we go out into the world this week, please be with us and to take what we've learned here and apply it to our lives to best honor you. Please be with us as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.